0: This digitally remastered episode is sponsored by our publisher, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. To get a signed copy of our book, Transmigrations, go to sageandsavant.com or pick up your copy from edgewebsite.com or Amazon today. And now for our show. and welcome to the Audio-Etheric Transmission The Tales of Sage and Savant, a Twin Star production. Brought to you on the first of each month from the Twin Star Studios in sunny Southern California, Episode 7.2, Aftershocks, was written by Eddie Louise. Our tale stars Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. The second installment in our special double episode for the holiday season features the music of Unwoman. And now without further ado, we bring you the Tales of Sage and Savant. When last we saw our intrepid pair, they were inhabiting the bodies of a mother and infant in Renaissance Naples, a metropolis devastated by earthquake. It has been nearly three weeks since we last checked in, and a terrible moral conundrum has developed. Dr. Sage is beginning to experience fond feelings for her titular husband in this time and place, creating an ethical dilemma. She knows she will be leaving, but should she try and prepare the man for the inevitable heartbreak? And what about the professor? His departure might mean infanticide. How is a scientist to square her values and act ethically in such a quandary? Have you noticed how content little Luke has become since
1: we moved into the shed? Hmm, has he? Why, yes, my love. He was such a fussy baby before the earthquake. Do you not remember? Now his disposition is much more. Jocular? Jocular? He's relaxed, good-humored, steady. Yes, exactly. He seems uh, happy in the shed.
2: Most likely it is only because he's being held all day, every day, and he can have the breast whenever he wishes it. He is a little tyrant, if you ask
1: me. (laughs) Oh, my little tyrant. He knows a good thing when he has it.
0: Marsilio! Marsilio! Come to the church! We must prepare the presepi.
1: I must go. Father Abramo is determined that we pass the vigil to Christmas in full candle blazing glory. With presepi in place, the city needs the hope of the season more than ever. Go,
2: love. Luca and I will most likely take a small stroll. I worry that he is not getting enough fresh air.
1: Oh, I'm sorry, my love, that I have not been able to find a nurse for Luca. You should not have to concern yourself with such a triviality. I
2: do not mind. I quite like walking and discovering the world with our little professor.
1: Take my mother along, won't you? I think she is spending too much time in the shed, breathing the fumes of the dye. It is not good for her health.
2: (laughs) Your mother will outlive us all, Marsilio. Don't you worry. Run along now, or Father Abrama will think that your wicked wife has detained you. Mother De Rosa, I'm going to take Luca for a walk in the sunshine. Would you care to join us? It is a fine day, and the Christ child is coming. We should step out and enjoy our blessings. You go on without me. It is not safe on the streets for an old woman such as myself. Nonsense! The last big aftershock was days ago. We are done with the earthquakes, and we must get on with our lives. I will not walk on the streets that might open a hole and
3: swallow me down at any moment. I will not be sucked into hell simply for the vanity of fresh air.
2: Mother DeRosa, there is literally zero probability of you being sucked into hell by another earthquake. You're going to have to leave this shed and rejoin society in Napoli sooner or later. Napoli is dead. Nonsense! The clearing of fallen masonry is progressing well, and we should begin the rebuilding soon. What is there to rebuild? Oh, Mother de Rosa, do not be so cynical. We rebuild because that is what humans do. When the end of God himself is against you, you do not defy him by rebuilding what he has seen fit to destroy. The earthquake was not a holy judgment, Mama. It was a product of nature. Natural philosophers are beginning to suspect that there must be some kind of pressure that builds up under the surface of earth, and that pressure must find an outlet. What are these natural philosophers you speak of? They are heretics!
3: Nothing on earth happens but by the hand of God!
0: Erasmus attempts to stop the doctor from responding. <laughs> This is still an era of church control, and the natural philosophies that we would call science are heretical and dangerous.
2: There now, Luca, what has happened? Are you wet? Do you need fed? Give the child to me. It is not that difficult.
3: Do you see how he is squirming? It means he needs to change position. You plan to take him into the sunshine, but you hold him so he cannot enjoy it. It is shameful that in three months you have not learned how to understand your baby. You have no idea how much I wish I could talk with him. In the name of almighty, I will never understand why my son chose an empty-headed child for a bride. Your son understands you perfectly, but he will not begin to speak for more than a year yet. You must learn to understand him, listen to his sounds, pay attention to his body.
0: She has no idea how correct she is, but I do not wish to listen to the nagging of a mother-in-law, and there is a development back at the laboratory, so we shall leave Naples for a moment, dear listeners. As you will remember, the bodies of our explorers lie on specially designed tables surrounded by custom medical apparatus, and for all intents and purposes, appear in a complete state of insensibility. The doctor had assumed that they would be safe and undisturbed for the duration of their travels. She was correct, on the former.
3: Dr. Sage? Hello?
0: Abigail Entwistle is evidently a truly conscientious person. Passing by the medical college on her way to the train, she noticed an electric light still shining in the windows of Dr. Sage's new laboratory and has come to investigate.
3: Dr. Sage? Are you in here? Max Cunningham must be informed if you're working. Dr. Sage?
0: Hmm. Finding the laboratory empty, Abigail crosses to the sleeping closet and knocks on the door that conceals our traveling pair.
3: Dr. Sage, are you in here? Hello? You've left a light on.
0: We must breathe a sigh of relief at this moment, dear listeners, that Mick's entwhistle was raised with impeccable manners. Hearing no reply, Abigail turns back from opening the door that would expose the doctor's secrets. She crosses to the desk, but as she reaches for the lamp switch, her eye falls on a hastily scribbled note.
3: CLA above middle C. 2500 amperes. Approximately 1550. Extended beyond two weeks. What are you up to, Dr. Sage? The only thing on this note that relates to Galvanism is amperage.
0: Oh. Oh.
3: Should I show this note to Max Cunningham? I'm not sure it relates to her experiments, but it is here in the lab, and it does mention a very large draw of electrics. C-L-A above middle C. I don't know what the C-L stands for, but the rest is musical. She couldn't possibly be collaborating with the music department or allowing them to hold ourselves here in the laboratory. And that would be strictly against usage policy. Approximately 1550. It can't refer to musical terms. Key signatures were not yet developed in 1550. How do all these things relate? There must be a pattern or a logic I'm missing?
0: If Mix Entwistle chooses to turn this note into Mr. Cunningham, it could bring an inspection which would prove disastrous at this juncture. Hello? Oh, Miss Entwistle.
1: Max. Uh, I beg your pardon? Max.
3: Max Entwistle is my preferred honorific, if you please.
1: Uh, What is this? Some type of suffragette nonsense?
3: Firstly, the cause of suffragettes is not nonsense, it is equality. Secondly... Jeffrey, I refuse to take abuse from a manservant. Whatever do you want?
1: Uh, I noticed the light is on, is all.
3: Yes, that was why I'm here. I noticed the doctor left the light on, so I entered to turn it off. Now, if that's all, Jeffrey.
0: Yes, yes, that's a fine, thank you. Whew, that was close. Good thing Jeffrey and his timely misogyny stopped in to derail the train of Mixentwistle's thought. Oh dear. It seems she has taken the note with her. Will she be reporting her concerns to Mr. Cunningham after all? Are our heroes about to be discovered in flagrante delicto? We'll find out after this brief musical interlude. Now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the delightfully melodic musical stylings of the unparalleled Unwoman. to our story. I am sorry to say that we shall have to wait to find out what happens at the college, because things back in Naples are about to take an interesting turn. Disgusted with her daughter-in-law's willingness to speak heresies, and trapped by her own fears of another earthquake, Sara De Rosa has refused to accompany the doctor on a walk, Marsilio has returned to a cottage containing nothing but a mother fuming with indignation.
3: I am certain, Marsilio, the Florentine woman is a thwarted church. She told me with her own mouth that the earthquakes could be explained by... by... by some word she uses science, or some such nonsense. She claims the earthquakes are not the end of God at work.
1: Mama, Mama, I am sure you are mistaken. Jeanette has such a love and respect for the church. You must have heard her incorrectly.
3: There is no mistake, son. You must tell your wife she must never blaspheme again. If Father Abramo had heard her... Oh,
1: Mama, you're overreacting. Father Abramo has many more important things to worry about just now.
2: Marsilio, it is a lovely evening. Come take a stroll with... Oh. I will be in my bedroom until dinner. I'm so sorry, Marsilio. Something I have said has upset your mother.
0: But whatever Marsilio was about to reply is lost as...
1: Everybody, out! Out! Quick, quick! It is not safe! Press! Press! Mama! Press!
0: clutching the professor to her chest, stumbles back out into the light as a punishing aftershock jolts Naples. The fabric shed begins to shake precariously, its sturdy walls weakened by repetitive shaking from three weeks of quakes and aftershocks. Petronella freezes on the threshold as stones begin to fall from the shed's edifice. Screaming for his mother, Marsilio follows behind, shoving his wife and child across the road, away from falling masonry. Only when they are clear of falling stones does he realize his mother did not come out of the shed. Mama! Mama! Before anyone can react, the roof of the shed collapses in on itself, and the entire building is reduced to dust and crumbles.
2: Mama! It is too late, Marsilio! The roof has buried her! We must wait until the shaking subsides! Your mother survived her house falling on her. She might well survive this too, but you will do her no good rushing in before the dust settles and that you can even see what you're looking for.
0: In the event, there was no hope for Sara De Rosa, whose stubborn nature had convinced her the safest place to be was in the middle of the room. Without overhead beams or even bales of velvet to stop the falling stone, she was pummeled to death as the roof collapsed. <clears throat> I would like to take a moment for a public service announcement. If you are indoors when an earthquake strikes, stay there. Quickly move to a safe location in the room, such as under a strong table, a sturdy manger, or along an interior wall. The goal is to protect yourself from falling objects and be located near the structural strong points of the room. Avoid taking cover near windows, large mirrors, hanging objects, heavy furniture, heavy appliances, or fireplaces. This has been an announcement for your own safety. It is nearly impossible to convey the horror wrought by the disastrous series of earthquakes and aftershocks that plagued Naples in 1456. The first quake was on the fourth of the month, But in addition to the regular bursts of smaller aftershocks, two major shocks hit on the 21st and 22nd respectively, killing even more of the dumbfounded citizens. The townspeople had no choice but to bury their dead in mass graves, one of which would hold the remains of Sarah De Rosa. And now the doctor is placed under greater ethical pressure.
1: I do not know what I should do without you, my miracles. I have lost my mamma, but I say thanks to God every moment of the day for keeping my most precious wife and son alive. Truly, we are like the family of Christ child, without a home in the dark of winter and yet awash in the love of each other.
2: Oh, Marsilio, to hear you speak so breaks my heart. I'm happy that you love us, but what if we are taken from you? I cannot bear the thought of leaving you alone in this world.
1: Do not say such things, my sweet. You shall not leave me. I forbid it.
2: If only we were in control of these things, my sweet.
0: Once upon a time, those words of endearment would never have passed the doctor's lips, as scientific discovery was her only love. But the romance of Italy, the devastation of the quakes, and the simple trust in the handsome Italian's eyes have worked a sort of alchemy on Petronella's emotions.
1: I must go to the church to help with the last of the burials. Father Abramo wants to try and get the dead into consecrated ground before tomorrow so we can all await the arrival
0: of the Christ child in peace and reflection. Once Marsilio has gone, leaving Dr. Sage alone with the professor in their makeshift tent, She wakes the babe for a conversation.
2: I'm sorry to disturb your nap, dear friend, but I'm losing my way without your guidance. It is Marsilio. When he is here with me, I begin to think more as Giannetta and less as Petronella. He is so grateful for his miracles. One cannot help but be swept up in his vision. You feel it too then, the pull to this gentle life? No, no, you are right. We have good lives. I have my research. You have your lectures. The Chargé du faire is now funding me. And for as yet unknown reasons, there are so many unanswered questions. And yet here, we do not have to concern ourselves with all of the stress and the intrigue and the
0: pressure. Though the professor, admittedly, is enjoying his own brand of relaxation here in Naples, he feels a need to call the doctor back to herself. Patronella Sage, it is time for you to let go of this childish fantasy
1: of the life you rejected years ago. When the choice was husband and family, or science, you chose science. It is time you remembered
0: this. Perhaps it is a product of a familiar tone of voice, Perhaps it is the doctor's own scientific mind reasserting itself, but Petronella shakes her head as if to clear it, and straightens her spine.
2: You are right, Erasmus, as always. We have learned much whilst on this adventure, how do communities deal with disaster for the main thing, but our place is in 1893 with your books and my experiments. So how do we conspire to die in Renaissance Italy?
0: But as usual, the doctor's plans matter little to the universe, and something interferes. I have good news for you, my
1: love. Good news? Yes, Father Abramo has provided keys. He is giving me a surprise for you. I have been working very hard. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I see that. You seem to be covered in feathers.
1: Yes, oh, that is part of the work I have been doing. Father Abramo has given us the keys to the manse. He's moved into the church and wishes our small family to have Christmas in a genuine house. No more living in a fabric shed or pavilions.
2: But surely there is a family more in need than us. There are
1: many families in need, but none who have provided provisions and supplies for the entire city. <gasps>
2: Marsilio, you've heard from your captains.
1: The letter is awaiting for me at the church this morning. The ship's return from Salerno bearing foods, blankets, firewood, and medicine. The goods are being loaded into wagons and brought into the city as we speak. Everyone in Napoli will have a happier Christmas because of Marsilio Corsini and his beautiful bride has provided it. Father Abramo insisted that we take the manse when he heard the news.
2: I'm so proud of
1: you, husband. The best part? The walls are very sturdy and thick. No more worry about fabric walls or impropriety. We shall once again be husband and wife, as the Lord God intended.
2: Oh, that sounds wonderful.
1: And to celebrate the arrival of the supplies, Father Abramo decided we shall celebrate the novena just a few days late.
2: Oh, yes, the novena. How wonderful.
1: And we will have some And the what? Uh, The bagpipers. Oh,
2: (laughs) yes, I'm sorry. I think I was just a little preoccupied.
1: Perhaps your handsome husband has been spending too many hours on rebuilding efforts and not enough time distracting his young, beautiful wife.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You you are distracting, trust me. You are very distracting. And tell me, Marsilio, why exactly are you covered in feathers?
1: Oh, yes, sorry. (gasps) The feathers... I found an unused ticking in the man's closet, and have been stuffing it full as a cloud for my angel to lie upon. My <coughs> huh, little man is awake and hungry, it sounds like. And I must go. We are clearing a place in the plaza for the presepi. It shall be Christmas in two days, and we must be ready. Pack your things, my love. Tonight, we sleep in a real bed. Mwah.
2: Come here, dear Erasmus. Did you hear that? Your papa has prepared a house for us.
1: We shouldn't be moving into a house. We should be returning home for our own Christmas. You said you were going to get back in focus.
2: Hush, shh, baby. It will not harm us to stay until after Christmas, will it?
0: And we shall leave them here so that we can skip the tedium of another long debate between the doctor and a baby. Suffice it to say that a baby is at a disadvantage in these negotiations. They are staying through Christmas. And, dear listeners, Christmas in Renaissance Italy lasts 14 days. On Christmas Eve, a vigil to await the Christ child begins. Every person in town goes to church, in one of many churches all competing for quality of the presepi, or nativity scenes, and the impactful homily delivered by a bevy of finely dressed priests. This year, the anticipation for the coming of the Christ child is both subdued and heightened. No place needs the balm of hope more than Naples, and yet a month of aftershocks has left the people in a stupor of unfathomable loss. The doctor is nominally a Presbyterian, but in truth has little knowledge of, nor patience for, religion. So far this month, she, like most Neapolitans, has skipped church. The Christmas Eve Mass is challenging in its ritual and ceremony.
2: It is times like this, Erasmus, when I miss your guidance. You would know when to kneel, what words to say. Traveling without your counsel is most distressing.
0: The doctor stumbles through the mass as best as she can. Christmas Day itself is also passed at church in Italy. Endless prayers and hosannas offered up from the cold stones by parishioners who must stand and kneel with enough enthusiasm to convince the priest that he has done his duty by the Lord. As the interminable mass continues, Petronella begins to find some comfort and even joy in the ritual patterns. By the time they retire from the blessed large S sanctuary to the more cozy small S sanctuary of their private lodgings, Petra is relaxed and in a state of almost bliss.
1: The priest has had his ado, and now you and I will celebrate Christmas in our own way. Perhaps we can make a brother for Wiluka, no? You
2: want more children, Marsilio.
1: Of course, my love. We have spoken of family. We should have a handful of little bambinos to fill our house with laughter and love.
2: A house full of laughter and love is something I might wish for one
0: day. Then a house full of laughter and love you shall have, uh, beginning tomorrow. And so, Marsilio chose to shower his love with gifts on each of the twelve days of Christmas, working to create the very atmosphere he has promised. It is the first day of
1: Christmas, my love. In honor of the Christ child, I give you this appear. a pair.
2: A pair? Oh, how sweet. Thank you.
1: Today is the second day of Christmas. I bring you the eggs of the turtle doves.
2: <laughs> Marsilio, these appear to be quail's eggs.
1: Uh, if you squint carefully, you will see they are the eggs of two turtle doves representing the Old <laughs> and New Testament. Today I bring you three French hens. <sighs> this one is faith, this one is hope, and this one mm, is for love. <laughs> Four calling birds for our dinner I bring you this night.
2: One might be tempted to
1: call foul. You wound me. These birds represent Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Blessed be the bed I lie upon. (laughs) (laughs) Eek!
2: Unhand me, you faint!
1: Five golden rings, one for each of the first five books of the Holy Bible. Also, a good toy for our little Luke. Oh. Today I bring you a gift most rare. Ducks' eggs. Geese. Uh, I have it on the finest authority. These eggs came from the purest white geese, representing the six days of creation. Do you know what happened on the seventh day? <laughs> Do tell. God called it good, and he went to bed. <laughs>
2: Do not come in here if you have seven swans with you.
1: Oh, I have better. I have a pillow filled with a soft swans down. The swans representing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leadership, and mercy. I come with eight bottles of milk to represent the eight Beatitudes.
2: Thank goodness you did not bring the maids. I should have divorced you on the spot.
1: Never! I shall never let you go, wife. Today, I bring you the music to represent the nine ladies dancing, who in return represent the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit and all the qualities I see in you, my beloved. Charity joy, peace, patience, goodness, mildness, fidelity, modesty, and constancy.
2: So many qualities?
1: I am not a greedy man, I have settled for nine. Today I bring you myself to represent the ten lords a-leaping, who in turn stand for the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no man before me.
2: Might I just have the Ten Lords, please? I quite fancy some leaping.
0: Careful, wife. You shall drive <laughs> me back to the milkmaid. <laughs> <laughs> and this seems like an opportune time to leave the good doctor and take a short break for a message from our sponsor.
2: Hello, listeners. Eddie Louise here, head writer for the Tales of Sage and Savant. I like stories that ignite my imagination, that make me think about the world in new ways and that inspire me to build a future world. This is the kind of fiction I strive to write and this is the kind of fiction published by our sponsor, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. Featuring works by established authors and emerging new voices, Edge is pleased to provide quality literary entertainment, including book one of the tales of sage and savant, Transmigrations, in both print and pixels. Look for books with the Edge logo at your local bookstore and online for Kindle, Kobo, Nook, iTunes, and Google Play. Find your next great read at www.edgewebsite.com.
0: Yes, dear friends, when you want to curl up with a great story, trust books from Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. Marsilio continues his charm offensive, using the twelve days of Christmas to keep the doctor by his side, though a month has gone by, and it is long past time when she should be returning to herself.
2: What is that racket?
1: Simply the eleven pipers to commend the eleven fossils.
2: Um, there are three of them.
1: Oh, most of the Zambanari have gone back to the sheep. I paid these gentlemen extra to come by today. Uh, I wish to revisit the blessed is the bed
0: I lie upon (laughs) par. Again, Marcelino? You are incorrigible. I have made it a policy to look away from the scene of intimate nature, dear listeners. But this time I cannot spare your sensibilities. For as the doctor lies canoodling with her titular husband, the earth is preparing to deliver a fourth hammer blow to Naples. The professor, asleep in his manger senses it first and awakens to sound the alarm. It's coming.
1: Ah, Another ah, earthquake. Ah, I can feel it. Patrick! Ah, Patrick! Ah, Patrick. 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 Patrick.
0: <laughs> Disturbed by the baby's cries, Petronella flies to his bed, lifting him free of the manger and clutching him to her breast as the first shock hits. This quake is as devastating as the one that hit at the 1st of December. The churches stand, but nearly every other building in the beleaguered city falls, including the one our heroes stand in. As the roof collapses in, Marsilio leaps to protect his small family, but the weight of the stones is too much, and the three perish, arms about one another in a final embrace. As our heroes awaken back in the laboratory in 1893, their reactions speak to the depths of their experiences. It takes some time for the enormity of what has happened to them to lessen its grip on their emotions, but gradually they begin to come back to themselves.
2: Erasmus. You are restored to me in your own self. It is so very good to see you, my dear friend.
1: I shall say the same for you, my darling Petra. What a strange sort of journey that was.
2: Yes. Oh, I must make progress in controlling our exit from a situation. We were in Napoli an entire month, and that was simply too long. I felt if I was losing myself there in Marsilio's arms.
1: Yes, quite. We can't have that.
2: I wonder if it's possible to interrupt the electrical activity of a brain without traumatic death. Perhaps extreme cold.
0: And as the doctor retreats into her calculations and the professor stumbles home to consider the effect of breastfeeding on the psyche of adults, we too will take our leave. We have many questions to answer, dear listener, in the next episode, but for now we leave you with this bit of holiday wisdom. Life is a perilous business and death might find us at any moment. Therefore, we must love laugh with, and hold each other while the opportunity affords. From all of us here at Twin Star Productions, we wish you the happiest of holidays and a most felicitous new year. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays! Blessed Bodhi Day!
2: Joyous Krampus Knot. Happy Hanukkah!
0: Merry Yalda! Blessed Yule!
2: A very happy Pancha Ganapati to you. A joyous Oyal.
0: Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa.
2: Merry Milanka. Happy, happy New, Year. New Year.
0: The Tales of Sage and Savant is a twin star production brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Chip Michael as Savant, Eddie Louise as Sage, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Episode 7.2, Aftershocks, was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical information we included in this episode? Go to our website for the complete bibliography. Theme music and audio engineering by Chip Michael. Special music in this episode was by Unwoman. Check her out at unwoman.com. We would like to thank our friends Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing for sponsoring this digitally remastered episode. Catch our website at sageandsavant.com and like us on Facebook to stay current with all things Sage and Savant. And remember, death is no barrier to science.